0: You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter eight. That's where we'll be this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at three unlikely healings. So, we've been uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and um, we've learned a lot about what Jesus believed through what He taught. And now we're going to get a glimpse of how He interacted with humanity, and and uh, we're going to learn about what He believed through how He lived both of those things are important what we teach and how we live kind of combined to, to to teach us quite a bit so we've been looking kind of at the words of jesus now we're going to look at the works of jesus um, he just taught in the sermon that we will recognize uh, a true prophet from a false prophet by their by their fruit and um, and he said that we can inspect a combination of what they teach and how they live and so so we're going to be doing that and chapter 7 ends by telling us how jesus teaching impacted them it says that When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so then chapter 8 starts out by telling us what happened when Jesus got done preaching the sermon. It it says when they came down from the mountain. So that's, that's what we're picking up. And one commentator kind of points out that we had the sermon on the mount and now we have the sermon on the move. I thought that was kind of a neat way to look at it. Um, but he's going to continue to astonish people, not by his teaching this time, but now by what he can do. And and it is astonishing when you think about what Jesus did when he was here on the earth and the things we got to witness or, you know, we read about, it's amazing kind of stuff. So he's going to continue to blow their minds. And the conclusion about who Jesus is after looking at these miracles should be obvious. There should be no question about who Jesus is. He claimed to be God, and these miracles proved that he couldn't have been anybody else because only God can do the things that he did, right? And so we know that he is the son of God, the promised Messiah, the savior of the world. And, and these things help authenticate that. And it becomes even more clear when we, this section ends with Matthew quoting Isaiah 53. And it says that he healed, or he took all of our illnesses and bore all of our diseases. And if you know about Isaiah 53, they would have been familiar with Isaiah 53, the Jewish people and you think, well, you know, who is it talking about in Isaiah 53? And when you read all of that chapter, it talks about somebody who was despised and rejected, somebody who would bear our griefs and sorrows, somebody who would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, and somebody who would bring us peace and healing. And we all, you know, we know in hindsight who this is. It's Jesus, and here he is right there in their midst, and they're they're figuring this out. So we're going to we're going to look at um, the healing stories of three unlikely candidates, a leper, a Gentile, and a woman. And we'll explain the woman one soon, because you guys are going, what? But they're an unlikely candidate, and we'll get to that later. But all of these, these, these three people, they represented the marginalized in society at this time. Kind of the, the ones that you would almost think would be the least deserving of Jesus' attention. And um, what we're going to look at this morning confirms what we read in Psalm 147, 2, which says, the Lord gathers the outcasts of Israel. Uh, This is something we should take note of and pay close attention to. Jesus loves the unlovable. He, He treasures what we would call throwaways. He's for the underdog and he's for the outcast. And I don't know if that's good news for you. But that's really good news for me. So we're going to read about the first unlikely healing in verse one, the leper. It says when he came down from the mountain, speaking of Jesus, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, I want you to imagine you're part of the crowd that's been following Jesus. You were up on the mountain. You've just heard the greatest sermon ever preached. And now you're just glued to his side, waiting to see what he's going to do next. And then and then so you're just on the mountain with him. And and then all of a sudden that that smell that you've smelled before, that smell of rotting flesh kind of hits you in the face. And then you start to hear that 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 call that you've heard before. Unclean, unclean. And and it's kind of sends chills down your spine because you know who it is. It's one of those people in society you don't want to run into ever, a leper. They represented kind of the the grossest people that there were around at that time. Luke's gospel tells us that this man didn't have a little bit of leprosy. He was full of leprosy, which means it had really taken its effect on him. And this was the type of thing where you would lose fingers and toes. And, and it, it was it, it horrifying to, to, to be you know, around somebody like this. uh, Leviticus basically tells us about the special rules that a leper had to follow In, in chapter 13 of Leviticus. It says, the person who has this disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. And he has to live alone and he has to live outside of the camp. That's where his dwelling would be. So he can't be around people. And tradition says that um, you had to stay at least six feet away from everybody else. I don't know if this is the original six foot rule, if this is where it came from. And he also had to cover his his mouth. So there's you got the mask and the six feet. I don't know if they this is where they got it from. Probably not. But but now you see this leper approaching Jesus. How will this react? How will he treat such a disgusting person? Okay. Now I want you to imagine. You're not part of the crowd, but now imagine you're the leper. Think about what it would be like to be this man. Josephus, uh, the famous Jewish historian, said that lepers were basically dead men walking. Most people assumed that the disease they had was a result of personal sin. Um, In other words, if you had leprosy, you did something to deserve it. God doesn't like you. He's judging you your sin and, and, and the way, you know, you, something you've done. That was the idea. And unfortunately, this is it's normal to think this way. I don't know why we think this way, but we do. We used to work with a, a ministry called the Elisha Foundation. It's still a ministry we support as a church, um, but they basically minister to families who have children with special needs. So disability, Down syndrome, you know, different things like that. And it, it was amazing when you would get to know the parents of these little ones, almost without exception, all of them believed that their child was the way they were because of something they had done as parents to deserve it. It was heartbreaking. But they all came to that conclusion. I did something, and God has judged me for it by giving me a child like this. Wow. The, the weird thing is, if you've ever been to somebody around that has Down syndrome, they're the one of the biggest blessings in the world. It's like, you've been blessed, not cursed. But that's that's a whole other subject. But it was... It was bizarre to see this mindset but we see the same mindset in people like us you know if you remember john chapter 9 this is the story of jesus and his disciples they're walking and they come close to the temple and there's this man who was a familiar man to them because they'd seen him a lot and the disciples asked jesus a question who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind that was the question they asked they just made the assumption well it was either him that sinned as a baby i don't know how babies sin in the womb uh, they kicked too hard, or what? You know, how? To, what, what could a baby do in the womb that would cause blindness? I don't know. But they assumed it was either. Hit. That's, that's quite an assumption to make. There are a couple of problems with this way of thinking. The first one is: is if this is how God does things, what I would have right now—leprosy and blind children. It's the truth. If God is going to judge me based on what I've done judgment, then I would have both of those things would be true of me. The second thing that we know um, that's wrong with this way of thinking is the Bible makes it clear that yes, sin and death and disease, all of those things are a result of sin, but, but the, the fall of man, sin in general, not necessarily specific sin. Now, there are times when, when your own specific sin, like for instance, if you smoke 20 packs of cigarettes a day and you get lung cancer, it's like yeah, we can we can connect the dots to that, you know. Yeah, you're not being smitten by God; you did something that caused that. Or if you if you drink like a fish all the time, and your liver fails. Well, we know what caused that. But if you see somebody that's got Down syndrome, we we don't know how to connect the dots to that. We can't assume that there's you know. Don't don't be that kind of person that that assigns personal sin to those situations. That's that's above your pay grade. That we put that in in God's in God's inbox, not ours. In the case of the man born blind in chapter 9, they were dead wrong. They were completely wrong. And Jesus tells them the reason. It wasn't he, that he sinned or that his parents sinned. He says it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's an amazing statement if you think about it. He's basically saying, no, this man was born blind so that right now I can heal this man, restore his sight in front of you all, and God would be glorified. That's why he's blind there's part of me that if I'm the blind man going what was that again <laughs> I was born blind so that God could be glorified through this healing right now I've been blind my whole life for this moment so God could be glorified I couldn't help but think of Johnny Erickson Toddy you remember her she was this this young woman who died it uh, was paralyzed not died from the neck down in a diving accident and, and her whole life she's been paralyzed now do you know who this woman is and how she's glorified God through what's happened it's like wow you know God is glorified in her life more than most people I've ever known or met. This stuff happens. But there's no doubt that this leper had gotten used to the idea of people looking at him with judgment and disdain and assuming he was just a sinful person because of the condition he had. He had to live with that. But that doesn't stop him from coming to Jesus. All right. He humbly comes before him, kneels down and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Just hear that statement again. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That statement should resonate with every sinner in this room. Right? Lord, I am unclean. There is nothing I can do to make myself clean. Only you can do that, Jesus. But if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's my story right there. And I never had, I haven't had leprosy. I'm just a sinful man and this is my story. And I love uh, what Jesus does in verse three, it says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. That means if fingers and toes were gone, they're restored. Whatever was going on, it's all it's all fixed just like that in a word. Jesus has the power to cleanse and heal anyone, anytime if he wants to. This is amazing. And if you think about it, this is the God who spoke the universe into existence with just a word. He can do that. He can just speak something and it will happen. But that's not how he chose to do this. He didn't just speak. It says that he reached out and touched the hand of the leper. You don't touch lepers. I mean, this is like this is Leopard 101. Don't touch the leper. Don't touch him because you'll be unclean. You'll get what they have. And Jesus, that's why you have a six foot perimeter, right? No don't, don't touching. Just, just speak the words, Jesus. You don't have to touch this man. Touching the leper meant that Jesus was willing to take this man's uncleanness on himself. And again, does that just not resonate with you? Jesus was willing to touch somebody that was unclean and take their uncleanness upon himself. It's like, this is what he did for us at the cross. It's amazing. He took my uncleanness on himself so that I could be cleansed by him. I mean, this is like, ah, it's good stuff. Verse four says, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof or a testimony to them. Now, this is Leviticus 14. When if you were healed from leprosy, then you would go to the priest and show they would inspect you and they would say, "Okay, now you're clean. You can come back into the camp. There were rules that you had to follow in this regard. But Jesus says, don't tell anybody who did it and this was before jesus had you know been outed as the messiah he was still trying to keep everything on the dl so he's like don't don't tell him but when they see what happened because leprosy like this didn't get cured that miriam Moses' sister was probably the you know in the bible the only other one that was cured like this and so the priest would have known okay something's up this guy had it now he doesn't what's going on so there's this testimony that's brewing but jesus said shh don't tell anybody but but he doesn't that does he it's just the opposite Healed you from your sin, go into all the world and tell everybody that will listen to you that I've been cleansed. That's what he wants us to do as his children right now. So that's the the first unlikely healing we look at. And then in verse 5, we read about the next one the Gentile. Um, Three things kind of stand out in, in this that make it an unlikely healing. The first one is just the fact that this man is a Gentile. Jesus, at this point, had come for the Jewish people. If you remember the the, um, uh, Canaanite woman who wanted him to be, you know, she wanted him to heal. And he's like, I I didn't come for you guys. I came for the, you know, the Jewish people. So this is weird because it's a Gentile. Secondly, it's because he's a Roman soldier occupying their nation right now. I don't know if you can just imagine right now, imagine that Russia came in and took over the United States and there were soldiers all around you know, with guns and, and they were telling us what we could do, where we could go. I mean, you, would, you would hate those people. You would not like those people at all. And that's, this is who this guy is. So that's weird. And then the third is that his request, his, his desire for what he wants Jesus to do is for a slave, just a lowly servant in his home. Slaves had no value. I mean, you could, you could replace a slave, they, but here he comes to Jesus for the healing of a slave. So all three of these things are a little weird. Now, if this were a Jewish man coming to Jesus, who who was like an important dignitary, whose son was sick or something like that, you can say, okay, I can see why Jesus would take the time to to heal somebody like that. But this guy, why would he do that? And there's an important lesson for us in this. Jesus sees importance in people and in situations where we see none. You know, we could say, why? This guy doesn't matter. Matter to Jesus. This person was precious to Jesus. He he spent the time with this guy. So verse five says, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Now imagine being the centurion for a minute. He's an important soldier in charge of commentators, say 80 men, 100 men. His title is centurion, which to me, it's like, let's go with 100. But I don't know why people say 80, but he was in charge of a lot of men. We can say that. And his job is to basically keep peace among the Jewish people who pretty much all despise him. Not a great job to have, but that's what he was, that's what he was doing. So for him to, to come to a Jew, a Jewish man, Jesus, would have been pretty humbling, pretty embarrassing. You know, this is a big deal soldier in the Roman, you know, and he, here he comes to this Jewish man and asks for help. It would have been humbling and it would have been a little risky if we're being honest, a little, little risky. For him to call Jesus Lord when, when Caesar is his Lord, that's really risky. He didn't call him teacher or rabbi. He could have gone with those. He called him Lord. And that's key in all of this because I think he had a, an inkling as, as to who Jesus was as we'll, as we'll kind of discover. Now, he obviously cares about this servant and the terrible suffering that, that he's experiencing. And so he, he weighs out the cost OK, this is going to be humbling, embarrassing, but worth it. And and all of us have to do this at some point. We have to weigh out the cost of, OK, coming to Jesus is going to cost me something. How, how much do I really need this? You know, I don't know if you've ever done that. I remember doing that when I became a Christian. I, I kind of want to go to heaven and I want to be forgiven of my sin. But there's a cost involved in this. And I, I waited out for a bit before I did it. And you know, it's kind of like those stubborn people that don't want to go to the. Doctor. I've heard there's people like this out there. I'm not one of them. I am one of them. Uh, you, you know, it has to get really bad before I'll go to a doctor. Like something's got to be almost ready to fall off. You know, it's like, okay, maybe I should go in now because I'm that stubborn. And that's, you know, you have to, has the scale tipped for you yet? How desperate are you for salvation? How, how great is your need to be forgiven of your sin? Have you reached that tipping point yet? Or are you still kind of holding out till it gets worse? If you haven't come to Jesus I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> uh, the bad news is your situation is far worse than you think it is. It's far worse than you think it is. But the good news is, he's ready to he's ready to accept you, right now, as you are, and heal you from your disease. You know, and cure you. So that's the good news. This centurion was desperate, and so he called on the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, this is his response. Uh, some people say it's in the form of a question like, do you want me to come and heal him? But the way it's phrased is, I will come and heal him. He just says, yeah, I'll come, I'll come heal him. I love that. Without, I don't know. Jesus is just like different than us, right? And we know this obviously, but sight unseen, no questions asked, no hesitation. I mean, if somebody asks me like, hey, would you do me a favor? I always say, maybe, you know, tell me more. He's like, hey, would you come heal my servant? Yeah, I'll come heal him. Don't you want to come and evaluate the situation first? Don't you want to find out how bad it is? Are we talking like, he, you know, his arm's asleep or is the guy paralyzed completely? We, he doesn't even ask. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll come do it because he's God. He can do that. And the, and the Gentile soldier's response is also amazing. He replies, Lord, because he's basically, saying, I'll come to your house. I'll come do this. He said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof And again, if you're a Jew, you didn't go into Gentiles' houses. We we know that from Acts when Peter got invited over to, you know, Jews didn't go into Gentile houses. So maybe this guy knows this, but he's saying, you're not worthy to come into my house, but only say the word, and it will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and I say to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that. He's basically saying to Jesus, hey, you don't need to you don't need to come to my house just just command it you know hey disease go away you go over there you, you leave this man you do. Jesus can he knows he can do that that's crazy he is his unworthiness before Jesus like you're not worthy to come into my house he knows that and on paper this isn't true at all this is a Roman soldier a Centurion an important man and he's saying I'm not I'm not worthy to have you come into my house a Jewish man that doesn't make sense it means that the knew who Jesus was. And this is confirmed by the fact that he also knows what Jesus is capable of. Right? If if you think about it, this guy knew that Jesus was all-powerful, because he could heal, he believed that. He he was all-knowing, because it's not like he, you know, he knew the guy's address, you know, he didn't know who, who this guy was, or what house he was in, or where he was. So he knows He he believes he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and that he's all-present, omnipresent, because he doesn't even have to go to the house. He can just do it from where he's at. Who who does that describe? God, only God. This guy knows Jesus is God. It's kind of cool. He has to know that. Jesus' own people couldn't figure this out. The Jewish people couldn't figure this out. And here's this Roman soldier who's like, I know who you are. That's cool. And this causes Jesus to marvel. You know, there's not a lot of places where we read about Jesus just marveling. But it says here in verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He's impressed by this guy's faith. That's kind of neat. I don't think there's ever been a time when Jesus has been impressed with my faith. But with this guy, he is. This is a guy who's not he's not been steeped in jewish history he doesn't know all of the traditions and all this stuff but he knows exactly who jesus is which is pretty amazing you know it reminds me that uh, when jesus or david taught a couple of weeks back about when people come before jesus saying um you know lord i did this i did that and he said i, n- I never knew you depart from me and in verse 11 jesus kind of has a similar idea where he, where he talks about people who think that they're in simply because of their jewish blood jewish heritage jewish tradition and 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 jesus makes the point it doesn't matter who you are where you come from if you refuse to bow before Jesus as lord acknowledge who he is you'll end up in a terrifying place period and and when jesus describes these things you know, people try to erase hell today and pretend like it's not a real thing. The way Jesus describes it scares the crap out of me. can be honest. I, I, it terrifies me to hear the way he, he talks about a place of outer darkness where the weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's it's It should, uh, you know, I, we can say we believe in the reality of hell, but if we do, it will motivate us to tell people about Jesus. Verse 7, he says, I tell you, many will come from the east and the west. He's talking about other people, other than just Jewish people, and they will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, Jewish people, will be thrown into outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's saying, not everybody who is Jewish is actually going to make it in, and and, not, and some Gentiles are going to make it in, and it's going to be a mixed bag of, of some of each. So he, you know, the point is that God's plan has always been to include all nations in his plan of redemption. That includes us, which I'm you know it includes a, a gentile centurion um, who, who's here and and I just want to remind you guys don't ever take it for granted that he's invited you to sit at his table you just ever thought about that god the god of the universe has said you can you can be at my table with us he didn't have to do that and he's included us in that which is an amazing thing verse 13 it says and, and to the centurion Jesus said go let it be done as for you as you have believed and the servant was healed at that very moment so he said you don't even have to come to my house you can do it from here he just said done it's done can you imagine what's going on at that house right now there's a, just a paralyzed guy in bed and all of a sudden he's just like uh, you know walking around the room and everybody's going what happened and they won't find out for i don't know how many hours away this was or whatever but they're going to just what just happened and then this centurion is going to come home and tell him but for a while they're they're all just standing around confused Anyway, this brings us to the next, the third unlikely healing, and it's it's the woman. Now you might wonder why I added women to the list of those who are considered outcasts or marginalized. And there's a really good mother-in-law joke in here that's like I could I could go for, but I happen to like my mother-in-law, so I'm not going there. Uh, the truth is that in this society, women were not held in high esteem. And, and there's this prayer. It's kind of it's just it's kind of hard to believe that it was a real prayer that Jewish would pray every day, apparently, Lord, I thank Thee that I was not born a slave, a Gentile. I was apparently every day. Christianity often gets lumped into this same negative view of women. But I would argue that Christianity completely changed the way women are viewed and treated. If you go to any country where Christianity has been outright rejected and and look at the way the women are treated, you'll see that this, this is true and and we 're living in a time right now where people are trying to erase the beautiful way in which God has created women uniquely distinct in His image. Uh, it makes me mad, quite frankly, to see what people are doing right now. Women um, are special they 're to be celebrated they 're to be cherished and honored and respected and not diminished and I feel like that 's what 's happening in the name of women 's rights and in the name of women 's advancement we 're actually erasing what it means to be a woman. And it's ridiculous. So Jesus had a very high view of women. Think about the way he interacted with women, who he interacted with, and the way he treated them. Mary and Martha, Mary Magdalene, the Samaritan woman, and now Peter's mother-in-law. You could just go on down the list. Uh, There's no question about how he viewed them. Verse 14 says, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. Now we're not told of the severity of her sickness. A lot of commentators speculate that she had malaria. Uh, we don't know, but whatever it was, uh, you know, most women, if there's house guests or whatever, they, they just get up and power through. That's the way it works. She, she couldn't get out of bed. She was that sick. So it was, it was serious enough that she wasn't, you know, with, with guests at the house, she wasn't coming and getting up to serve. And Jesus just has compassion on her when he sees her. Uh, He touches her hand, which again is another Jewish no, no. She had a fever. You don't touch sick people. That was that would make you unclean. But one touch and she's immediately healed and her natural response, her natural instinct was to rise and serve. Now I don't want to make too much of this, but I wish that this was the response of more Christians when when Jesus touched them with the healing hand of salvation. That their first instinct would be, hey, I I realize what you've done for me. I'm going to rise now and serve. That that just should be what we do next, right? Rise and serve. That should be our life now. But it doesn't always happen that way. Now, by the way, this is the only miracle we read about today where no request was made for help. Uh, The leper clearly asked for help. The centurion applied. He needed Jesus' help. She doesn't ask for help at all. Jesus just sees her condition and heals her. And then once word gets out that, that there's somebody that's able to miraculously heal, that kind of opens the floodgates, the crowds start coming. Verse 16 says, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. We're going to talk more about um, the, the demon possession kind of stuff and the healing in, in, a, in a little bit later down in the chapter, so I'm not going to focus on that right now. Uh, but but this all fulfills what, what the prophet Isaiah said, and in Matthew 17 um, verse 17, he, he talks about, you know, the fact that Jesus came to take our illnesses and to bear our diseases. Uh, this was spoken 700 years prior to this, and now it's happening in front of them, which is amazing. So we're going to look at a couple of observations from this just to, um, uh, to kind of see what we, we get out of this, this text. And the first observation that I see is that Jesus is the undisputed, undefeated, heavyweight champion of the world. And and what I mean by that is that no matter who or what steps into the ring with Jesus, they're going down. (laughs) Period. Right? Jesus has the authority. He can whoop disease. He can whoop disability. He can whoop sickness. He can whoop death. He has no no enemy. I mean, nobody's going to come close. You know, even Mike Tyson in his prime, he's going down. He can whoop them all. He has complete authority over everything. This is something we say we believe, but we don't act like we believe most of the time. Yes, Jesus is in control; he has control over everything. Whoa, but wait, what's going on over here? Ah, you know, we we don't always act like we believe it. And I just want to point this out because over the last couple of years, I think we need to be reminded of this. There's been a lot of stuff that's happened. That you know, I just want to ask this: How hard was it for Jesus to heal these people? Did he break a sweat? Did he, did he struggle through to, to make it happen? No, it was effortless, completely effortless. We're talking about the God who can speak everything into existence with his with just words. That's who nothing is too hard for our God, right? I, I can't say that. I mean, for me, it's like if I'm going to build something or, you know, just the planning alone takes me forever. Right? And Jesus just can just be like, no, it's done. No effort at all. He touched a guy full of leprosy and it just went away. He, he long distanced, healed a paralyzed person. He doesn't need, you know, he can do whatever he wants to. Have diseases gotten harder for him to conquer? No. But something like COVID comes along and everybody freaks out. Is that, is that God's kryptonite? Oh, we, we finally found something he can't deal with. No, it's our kryptonite, unfortunately. We just like to you know act like it's outside of God's power to control, but it isn't. Nothing is. So that doesn't mean people aren't going to get sick. Doesn't mean people aren't going to die. That happens. We know that. That's part of life. It just means that we don't need to live in fear. We can trust God's sovereign power, his control, and, and his will through it all. So, so that's the first observation. The second one is this. There is a difference between sovereign power and sovereign will. All right? Sovereign power means that God can heal anyone. Sovereign will means that God may not heal So able to and willing to. The leper understood this. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The, the idea is that you may not be but if you are willing, I know you can do this. Most of us understand that Jesus has the ability, but what about the willingness part? That, that's the part we struggle with. Uh, we've been taught this. This is something I know everybody's been taught, and, and I think we've bought into it. The more faith you have, the more willing or even obligated he will be to heal. Is that something we've all been taught? But, but I, don't, I don't think this is true. I, I know faith plays a part in this. Don't misunderstand me. But, but, but with that thinking, that it's more up to us than it is up to him. Do you, do you see that? I don't think that's how it works. How much faith did Peter's mother-in-law exhibit? <laughs> She's just laying in bed sick. She didn't do nothing. He just walked in and said, I want to heal her. And he did. Right? Um, if you were to think about the Apostle Paul for a minute, if you were to rate the Apostle Paul's faith on a scale from 1 to 10, where does he land on that scale? I'm, I'm giving Paul a 10. He's a ten, right? Um, he asked God in faith to remove a flesh or a thorn from his flesh multiple times. Did that result in him being healed? His faith was a ten. Did it result in him being healed? No, it didn't. So did Paul? Paul knew God was able, right? I mean, Paul saw God do amazing things. So he knew he was able. Now we don't know what Paul's thorn was, and I'm kind of glad we don't. But it was a continual struggle for Paul that he wanted to go away and God didn't take it away. God wasn't willing to do what Paul wanted. and, and, and it's not because Paul lacked faith. It's not because Paul or God didn't love Paul. it's because it served a purpose. We, we don't necessarily know what the purpose was. I, you know Paul might not have understood it. But he, but he trusted that God had a purpose in it and that he wanted it there. And that was, that was enough for him. And we need to learn this. We need to, to learn to think this way and we need to learn to pray this way. Because if you're like me, the minute something bad comes into my life, I just say, Lord, take it away. No question. It doesn't matter if you have a purpose in it or not. Just take it away. I don't like it. That's the way we tend to pray. So it's not enough for us to Power, we also have to factor in his sovereign will. And faith means trusting him either way. I think people like to think about faith as like it's the power of positive thinking. If I, just, if I believe hard enough, then I'll get what I want. No, faith means whether he says yes to what we want or he says no to what we want, we still trust in his goodness and trust in his plan. That's what faith is, no matter what. You know, if you think about it, when Jesus started to, to get arrested that night and uh, when they hung him on a cross, think about what the apostles were, were going through at that time, they were praying, I mean, they they saw Jesus's ability for years. They knew he could stop this if he wanted to. They saw him do greater things. They had to have been so confused and been praying, Lord, don't let this happen. But God had a purpose in it greater than what they could imagine or greater than what they could see. And if they would have gotten their way, (laughs) we wouldn't be saved. So praise God they didn't get what they wanted because it would have resulted in none of us being actually saved. God was accomplishing something greater by allowing it. And sometimes we just need to understand, you know, God knows what he's doing. Amen? Yeah. There will be times when we can't make sense of what God's doing in our own lives or in the lives of others. And that's where faith comes in. And whenever I begin to waver and doubt, I look at the cross as my reminder that God knows what he's doing. Right? And this comes in handy when I doubt his desire to do good for me also, because I struggle with this. It's very easy for me to do this. My back went out a week ago and I couldn't walk for about six, seven days. And I prayed repeatedly, God, make this go away. And, and it didn't go away. I just kept it. It was, it was, and I know everybody has stories like this. It's not, it's not unique to me, but I start thinking, well, the reason he's not doing this is because, because I'm a, a piece of garbage. And the reason he's not doing this is because he doesn't love me. And the reason he's not doing this is because I'm not worth it to him. And I start thinking that way. (laughs) It's like, you know, I'm unworthy. Why would God want to do anything nice for me? I don't deserve his kindness. I I start thinking that. And then I remember, wait a second. Did God send his son to the for you to suffer and die in your place? Do you think God doesn't love you? Do you think he doesn't care about you? Do you think he doesn't want what's good for you? Why would he have done that for you? And, and, you know, what's he going to, it just doesn't make sense. And so you have to remind yourself, go to the cross, spend time there, think about who he is and what he's like. And then understand too, that the reason God is good to me is not because Brent is awesome. It's because my life is hidden in his son. Jesus is awesome. And that's why God is good to me. So that should be like a warm, comforting blanket of truth, just to wrap yourself in whenever you need it. My father loves me and he's doing what's best for me. And I believe that. So healings are great when they happen but they aren't guaranteed, and just remember that any and all healings are deserved grace from God, period. But they're also this, this is the next observation, they're also a preview of coming attractions, all right? So the miracles Jesus did had a definite purpose at that time, they authenticated his message and and who he was and what he came to do, but they also authenticated what he had in store because there's a time, there's a kingdom coming where all of this stuff finally gets taken care of and dealt with. And so these healings and miracles are showing us what's coming, what's ahead for God's people. And that's, that gives me great hope. If in Matthew 9, it says, Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. He tied these things to the gospel of the kingdom to to uh, like hey here's a snippet of the kingdom here's a snippet of the kingdom he's just you know that's why these healings are there is, is it's showing us what's coming for us now we're still looking forward to that last chapter but even as we talked about this morning with people that are that are struggling with different diseases and 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 hardships and so forth the restoration of all things is at hand it's coming and i can't there's a time when jesus is going to reverse the curse of sin and death And and all those things will be no more and everything that he desired for his creation from the start will come to pass and it will be ours if we're his children in his kingdom. So I can't wait for that day when everything we broke gets fixed right, and restored and it will never get broken again. We can't screw it up, which is good news for us. The last observation in the passage is this. If Jesus loved the outcasts, shouldn't we love the outcasts? The people in these accounts represent the least among us and the least likely to be healed. But how did Jesus treat them? He treated them as though they were very important. He paid attention to them. He loved them. He treated them with dignity and respect. He cleansed them. He healed them. He restored them. What do we do with these sorts of people? Are we like Jesus? To them or do we do our best to avoid them when we when we hear the words unclean unclean are we like oh man I hope somebody else deals with that and try to get away from the situation as quick as we can imagine if if Jesus had just got done preaching this sermon he's walking down the, the mountain everybody's watching to see what he's going to do and a leper approaches him and he just kicks him to the curb get away from me you, you weirdo you unclean jerk get away from I me mean, can you imagine what, what would that have done to everything Jesus just taught if he would have treated that guy like that. Kind of erases it, doesn't it? That's not what he did. But his credibility would have been ruined. And it's true of us as well. More than ever, our talk needs to match up with our walk. If we're going to teach what Jesus taught to people, we ought to live like Jesus lived to people. Make sense? And as much as we don't like to think of ourselves as the outcasts that Jesus came for, we are <laughs> we're included in that group, so, so don't ever think you're above the outcast or the underdog. you're one of them. Yeah, that's who Jesus came for. If, if you're in that's that's why. you know the way he picks his team is, is is a little you know it's not the way we pick the team. He goes for the people like us. Praise God that he does. It's just this cool picture, by the way. you know that the walls of the temple would isolate. You had the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go in there. You had the next place, only the priest. The next place, only the Jewish men. The next place, only the Jewish women. And then you had the court of the Gentiles. And then outside of that were the lepers. And and Jesus coming, it's like just dominoes. Just boom, 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 boom. The walls have come down. And the outcasts get to come in. Isn't that amazing? And we have that message now to take to anybody out there who feels isolated, alone, and without hope. There is hope. Jesus came for sinners. Amen. Right. Father, thank you so much for these, these, these accounts of people uh, that you loved and, and, and did amazing things for. And we recognize that that represents us. We are the unclean leper, we are the, the Gentile centurion, we are, we are the, the, the woman who couldn't help herself. We are all of these people who needed desperately to be healed by you and, and through the work on the cross. You've offered that healing if we will bow before you as Lord and, and, and uh, trust you as our Savior. And so help us, Father, to, to, to do that today, to throw up the white flag and fully surrender to your authority in our lives. Help us to trust you no matter what comes our way, to know that you are the God who can do anything. Nothing is too hard for you and that you do love us and that you do care about what happens to us. So, so help us to have that trust that we need, increase our faith. And Father, help us to take this message of, of hope for healing for the outcast to everybody that needs to hear it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.